Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. My name is Lori, and as always, I'm here with Sarah. And today we have a special guest. Her name is Nicole Taylor, and she is a family member of somebody with borderline personality disorder and the founder and executive director of the organization Emotions BC. So welcome to the podcast, Nicole. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Good. I was wondering if you wanted to kind of start with like why you're here, um, what interested you in the podcast, and uh, who you are. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me to do this. I'm, I'm actually really grateful to be able to talk about this. So I am the family member of, uh, of somebody who has borderline personality disorder. And I'm here because five years ago, when, when the diagnosis was received, we, as a, as a family member, you know, we, we really didn't know much about the, the disorder. And I think we found um, that not a lot of people were actually talking about the disorder. And we, we had to research and, and do some of that on our own. And so I just think that after five years now of you know, researching and, and talking to people, and luckily I found you, Lori, um, because at that time it was a very pivotal time for, for us and our family um, because we were bumping up against a lot of uh, well, I'd say just a lot of people who weren't very positive. They didn't have many positive things to say. And it was a really scary time for us. That's yeah. so common. I think we hear that every time, like when people get the diagnosis or have somebody in their life get the diagnosis and start Googling, like Googling is the last thing you want to do <laughs> when you get this diagnosis. Yeah. Google for BPD especially is rough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is why one of the reasons that we're like so happy that we're doing this podcast is because we're finding so many people are reaching out saying the same thing. Like, I, I didn't know there were any positive experiences with this disorder. And like, I remember Nicole and I met uh, for the first time at a blends coffee at uh, Surrey Central Skytrain Station. And <laughs> we, we cried a lot that day because it was finally just an opportunity to yeah, hear each other's stories, right? Yeah, it was an amazing time. It was, uh, you were a very pivotal person for me. And it it was something that I've, I've kind of held on to that. And, you know, during the some of the, the tough times, I think even now, I, I hang on to that. I hang on to the fact that, um, you know, you kind of gave me hope back then. And, um, and still to this day, uh, I have to be honest, you, you, do give me hope just because I think um, it is such a stigmatized disorder. And, and, and I, I bump, I mean, so many families, honestly, so many families really don't know much about it. And then they, the, the, the unknowing um, about it is, is just so hard because people go into their mindsets, go into places where um, they, they possibly don't need to go. Right. So yeah, so I think that was that was something that that we we needed to really figure out what to do um, as a family, just to sort of learn more about it and and you know what how how can we actually support our family member and and what was going to be the the most impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask how old your family member was when you all received this diagnosis? Well, that's actually a really great question because they just aged out of out of the youth system. So that became also another barrier, 
I think. Um, and, and it just really, that made it a little bit more difficult even so. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because I was 23 when I got diagnosed and I, so my family wasn't involved in the process and they're still not involved in like the, the process. I mean, I don't think my father could like name my diagnosis for you if he tried. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, what we, what we ended up um, doing really was to try and find some, actually what we ended up doing was, was finding some, some groups for us to go to. Um, but at the time it was, I mean, it was as, as, as good for us, but it also was not, not very appropriate for the kind of group that it was. I mean, it was very diagnosis specific and it, you know, we were, we were pointed sort of in the schizophrenia direction, right? Uh, we were, we were t- uh, pointed to this, um, BC Schizophrenia Society, which, I mean, as they were, they were awesome. They really helped support um, the, our family. Um, and, you know, it was, it was that feeling of, okay, well, there are other family members sort of going through similar things with their loved ones. Um, and at the same time, we had a lot of people coming to us that, uh, you know, in, in my line of work, I, I had other people who, who had their, their, kids um, and loved ones had been diagnosed and they just didn't really know what to do. So we, we figured out that there was uh, the DBT skills. The DBT skills were really helpful for us as family members even to learn um, because it was something that we were hoping that our loved one would also engage in and then we'd be able to speak the same language and, and be able to sort of support on the same sort of level. Uh, it's it's interesting though because I think for us this diagnosis has been um, quite oppositional because the oppositional side makes it hard to support and I think the biggest thing that I've realized over time uh, is that my own support the support that I that I could provide was was really just to sort of take care of myself and figure out what was going on for me and ask, how could I support rather than the try this, let's try that. Um, possibly, you know, that's, I, I can't, all these ideas and, you know, the, the fix it family member who, and it really wasn't effective. So those kinds of, those kinds of things became really clear, really quickly <laughs> that the, the fix it trying to, you know, come up with all these different plans. And, and I think that became very frustrating um, for our family member and, and rightfully so, right? Uh, it, it took a while, I think, um, even for this person to sort of wrap their head around it and try and figure out what this actually meant. So uh, it, it took a while and um, DBT was definitely the, the way that, uh, that this person found a little bit of, you know, hope as far as, you know, I can learn these skills and I can work towards having um, some really successful relationships. So, but I often also find it amazing um, because, you know, yeah, this, this person is just so insightful. So when not sort of heightened with, with emotion, um, super insightful, you know, has so, so much wisdom 
And, uh, and I think that that's, that's what I have, have even learned from some of the families that I work with through Emotions BC is that these, these, these awesome people with BPD, you know, uh, how, how can they pull out their DBT skills when they're super heightened and emotional? Um, and so it's the wise mind that comes back into it all the time. And getting to wise mind is, is sometimes takes a, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to process all of that just because of all the trauma, uh, yeah. the, the trauma as well, right? So. But once you can get into that wise mind place, like I think that that insight that you're talking about really comes out. Like I seriously believe that that and being empathetic are like our superpowers with this diagnosis because we do feel so much. And sometimes the the wisdom and, and that, it's almost because we've had to learn so much about ourselves because we don't fit into the mold that society has put us in. And so we're just like forced to be insightful. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely I mean, it's, it's like the only way to stay alive with this, right. Is to like understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you add all of the, the multiple things that go along with it as well, which could, you know, the anxiety or depression and, you know, possible other, other diagnoses, which just make it even trickier. So um, yeah, the, I think the other, the other thing that we learned that was really helpful um, was the uh, perspective, you know, the, the fact that uh, we have perspective of what's going on. And so does our family member has perspective of what's going on and they may not look the same. And an understanding that is, that we do have our own perspective. And so what's going on for, for this person would, is really real, is, is very, very real. Uh, and until, like Lori said, just, you know, using that empathy, which is really hard sometimes, I have to admit, <laughs> to pull totally. empathy out when, um, you know, when you have uh, somebody who's, who's going through a lot and is really, um, yeah, what, what's going on for this person is really real. It's really hard for for the family member to to be empathetic sometimes and so you know we have to stop ourselves in our tracks which um which then when you're talking about my own mental health with that that kind of that's when that comes into play is is to really go okay so is this this is my own stuff going on here so i have to own that <laughs> that that's yeah. And like, we can be annoying. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like, I'm fully aware that when I am in a space that is negative, like I am ruminating on that and I can't get out of it. And like, that is super annoying because I mean, for me, that's why DBT was so important in the groups was because I was able to see somebody else doing that and be like, oh my God, this is what I'm like when I'm like that. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, you have to be able to, like you were saying, place what's what's on me in this situation and what's on the other person and I think that that's also you know where Sarah's favorite skill radical acceptance comes in where it's like I can't (laughs) I can't for those listening she just fingered me (laughs) Um, for those like it's you can't control other people and Nicole and I did a presentation the other day and she had this beautiful slide where it was like a circle of things you can control. And then on the outside of the circle was all of the things you can't control. And it was like trying not to focus on the things you can't control and wish that they were different and just focus on what in that situation you can control. It was a beautiful slide. I really loved it. I really, that's one of my favorites too. And, and cause I think that 
people do. We we get into we get fixated on things that you know, like like I said before, this you know this might work and this might work, and you know it it kind of comes across as as manipulating for for the other person probably, right? And yeah, at the end of the day, all you have control over are your own words, your own um, your own actions, and your own self care really, right? Taking care of yourself as well. So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of been where, where things really shifted for us is when I really started to focus on the things that I could control. And, um, you know, and, and really, I, I probably should have, I should have seen this a lot sooner, because it really allowed the other person to become a little bit more empowered. And, um, you know, and, and deservedly so. Right. So I, I know what it's like, you know, Lori, when you're saying, you know, we are, we are a pain. We are not always easy because I, as a teenager and growing up in my, you know, even into my mid twenties and, you know, I think I'm probably into my thirties. It's I, I was a very emotional, um, emotionally driven person still, still mm-hmm. am to this day, really. And uh, yeah. And I, that's the name that I kind of bore in my family was, oh, you don't want to be making her upset. Oh, we don't want to say this to her. And so it was something that I didn't really like, because at the end of the day, I thought, you know, I, you can talk to me. Mm-hmm. I am okay. And I might, I might get emotional and I might get upset. And I, th- I think that's okay. You know, I always mm-hmm. kind of was this, um, you know, a bit of a, a rebel person really growing up. So uh, yeah, but as I'm another really interesting thing about BPD, though, what I find interesting, the more, the more that I work in, um, you know, doing the work that I do with Emotions BC, I find it I, curious, because the the clinician that I work really closely with, who provides me with some insight into the some of the programs that we run, he actually says, you know, he's been in, he's been, you know, in the counseling for 20 years or so. And the curious thing for him is, is that as people get older who have BPD, they, they seem to be able to quote, be cured from BPD. Yeah, like grow out of it almost. Yeah, grow out of it, which, which when I was, when I was. I'm still waiting for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I honestly think, you know, I wonder if I would have been diagnosed with BPD when I was younger, right? Because I was, I had pretty much a lot of the, the the symptoms, you know, maybe not on the the one scale, you know, maybe sort of more in the middle. But um, yeah, but, but as I've gotten older, I mean, I just turned 50 last year. So it's, it's just stuff that you kind of, it's the self-awareness bit, I think. And um, the DBT skills that I've learned have been amazing just for some of my own anxiety and mm-hmm. I've struggled with depression over the years. And, um, yeah, so it's definitely, I just realized that I've, I have ADHD. It's sort of self self uh, diagnosed, but, um, I remember my doctor saying that if, if you don't have ADHD, then the, the meds are not going to work for me. So I decided to try them and lo and behold, here they are, they're working and I can actually focus. <laughs> I can actually mm-hmm. you know, do some stuff. So, so yeah, it's, I've, I've, I've got my own stuff going on. And so when I, uh, when I'm interacting with my family member, who's also, you know, got stuff going on, I really have to be mindful as to what's mine 
and what's the other person's and and own it and so that's that's kind of where we're at with that and it's 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 going pretty well and i think that's the thing right is we all have to realize we all have stuff going on so whether or not you have a mental illness or mental health challenges or we i mean first of all we all have mental health challenges and mental illness but like that comes across in any situation that you're in like i used to work customer service retail you know how many people were like absolutely awful to me sometimes you're just like okay well there's nothing I can do about this right and (laughs) and you just have to be like this is this is what it is I'm going to hold on to the bit that I can control which is I'm not going to yell at you (laughs) right but I can walk away right like there's no issue with that so yeah I'm, I'm glad that learning the skills has been helpful for you just personally and in communication because your family member has gone through a DBT program, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not a great one, but okay. <laughs> okay fair enough. <laughs> and they found it helpful because not everybody does. Well, I, you know, I, I say not a great one because it was very disjointed, you know, it was kind of based on uh, how many people were going to participate. And so, you know, there were, there were times where, you know, there were some people who, who didn't go and my family member did. And so when there was low attendance, they would stop, you know, they would stop the, the, the program for a couple of weeks. And so that kind of disjointedness just didn't really make sense to me. And I thought, oh, you know, this is, this is uh, the continuity would have been really helpful, I think. My family member is so great at researching, well, although it is online and it is, it is the, it is Googling, but it still, I think provides a lot of education. And I, and I think, you know, he's able to, uh, to, to discern between what is, is good information and, and what's, you know, what information, you know, maybe part of it is accurate and maybe some of it is far-fetched and kind of take the, the, what's in the middle, but but yeah, I think, you know, learning the DBT skills on his own has been been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And probably increasingly over time, you know, maturity and all these other things that come into place too, right? Yeah. And just like speaking to that dis- disconnected part of it, it's like DBT really is so simple. In my experience, the skills are so basic. It's just a matter of constantly practicing them and working through them. So like, if you don't have your clinician available to you and you can't go to essential skills group, like two to three days a week for six months, and then the full program two days a week for six months, it's like, you're not going to get it because you just need that much practice time. That's true. Yeah. But But Nicole, I assume that your family member didn't go through the full program like that, right? Uh, they no. have an individual clinician and phone consultation and groups. Yeah, no, no, no. That so. doesn't seem to be as much of a thing up here unless you're forking out tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So I know right. Sarah has always talked about that, but I mean, like for me, I just went to group once a week. And yeah, so that is what is so weird is like y'all have such a big advocacy community up there that we do not have in the States. Like hmm. do we do not have any kind of like advocacy community the same way that I've seen you guys talk about up there. But our program here seems to be far more comprehensive. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for what it's like for a Medicaid eligible client, but most of the programs I know of are 
dually licensed for private and public healthcare and the programs look the same. They operate the same way. Yeah. Yeah, See, I don't know enough about the U S healthcare system to know why that is. Obviously our healthcare system is generally better, but mental health care is not included in the Canada health act. And so I think this is where the disconnect is, is like, I can go to the doctor right now and get surgery and it's free, but I, I cannot. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so I think like, I mean, I actually wrote a paper for school about this the other day because we had to like do an analysis of the Canada Health Act. And I was like, mental health needs to be included. If we're going to say let's treat mental health and physical health like the same thing, why are they not the same in the terms of funding for the government? So I, yeah, I just think that the full program is not something that you're going to get here unless potentially if you're an inpatient or you have tons of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to go through like four months of the essential skills program before I could even get into the full DBT program. Wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, that was the longest year of my life, but anyways, (laughs) enough of that. Nicole, is it okay if I ask some more questions about some of the like warning signs or things that you noticed growing up because that's um with this family member because that's one of the things that I think parents often overlook and in my case my experience I was just kind of written off as a really dramatic kid and we had tons of um trauma in my family growing up so I think that that was also just like oh Sarah's just acting out because there's a lot going on and I just kept getting pushed and pushed further until like things kind of blew up in my early twenties. So I'm wondering what it's like for, for you having witnessed. For me, it was the probably more so self-isolating than anything. And um, yeah, the self-isolating, the, the probably the erratic behavior, which it's, it's, it's actually kind of funny looking back. There were things also going on in our family. And um, I, I think, you know, the, 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 our family, I think in general, we have a lot of super feelers in our family. <laughs> and uh, so me being one of them and, you know, it's, it's, we, yeah. So it's the sensitivity also, I think it was, was always super high for this person. And, and, and I think it was, yeah, it was, you know, I did some, there was some changes in, in my personal situation and, and different things that went on there. So that became a lot more stressful, I think, for this family member to, to go through. And yeah, looking back, I think it was the isolation that really was the big thing for, for me. And to the point where I, I couldn't get through at all like it there was there was the isolation and the pulling away from everything like life in general which which was i i really didn't know what to do and i I think that that was that was sort of a really big eye-opener for me a lot of relationships were sort of coming and going and hard really really hard um for this person and and so yeah i think in general, it was the isolation. No, it wasn't dramatic at all as far as as me figuring out what was going on. I think I actually thought the depression was was the biggest thing. And until 
uh, until, you know, sort of the, the real deep anger, I think, was starting to come out was when the diagnosis was really reflected. And then the, the impulsivity and I think those kinds of things were really getting in the way of, of a lot of things, right? So, Which is so in line with anger. I mean, impulsivity and anger are essentially the same thing, right? It's just like yeah. the negative component of impulsivity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the anxiety, I think, part, um, which I, I think is, is fear driven, right? The fear driven anxiety, which is the anger as well. It's, it's all of that stuff can come from that. So I'm wondering, let's maybe shift focus a little bit. And we talked about how important um, the DBT skills for the listeners, that's dialectical behavior therapy, if this is your first episode are for you and your family. And obviously Sarah and I talk about this constantly on the show. So you founded an organization basically to help people learn these skills at free to low cost. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and what prompted you to do that? Yeah, I'd love to. Reason, the whole reason that I, I decided to officially sort of start Emotions BC. I unofficially uh, ran some just basic support groups for families even before I, I founded the organization um, just because there were so many people who basically sought me out and said, Hey, you know, um, can you, what, what is this like? Sort of like what I did with Lori that day. And before we knew it, we had a whole bunch of people sitting in a, in a room and, and it wasn't just BPD specific. There were a lot of different people who, who had family members who had various different diagnoses and they just wanted to really be in a surrounding of people who, who really got it and were unjudged and uh, who they didn't have to explain too, too much without, you know, getting a raised eyebrow or, a, oh, really, you know, that. So I, we've, we started that. And then after, after we started learning these skills, is when we found it really, really impactful for ourselves and our own relationship with our family member. Uh, I'll never forget one of the things that we learned was, you know, do we want to be right or do we want to be effective? And <laughs> it's just, uh, it was such a, an eye-opener for, for us as a family. And um, yeah, of course we want to be effective. And so if we're, if we're not doing things that are going to be effective, then you know, we need to shift our way of, of thinking. We need to provide some other, other ways of doing things. So we learned the skills and then we wanted to share these skills with so many people. And I think that's what um, spurred the Emotions BC because like that day, me sitting with Lori to, to get that hope that this, um, that this is actually a diagnosis that there's lots of people who actually do, you know, really well with the diagnosis, as long as they can learn how to manage it. Like Sarah mentioned, all the practice and all the skills and all the, you know, all of that training. And, and it is, I think, I think it is, it, a lot of families ask me, what do I do to get my family to sort of buy in to, to do that? You can't do anything. It comes right back to the control versus influence versus what do you control? What do you not control? And yeah, it's, it, uh, it's learning the skills for you and it's learning uh, how to be effective in the long run. And so we, yeah, the Emotions BC, we provide a few different avenues of support for, for our families. Um, the support function, which is just, you know, to be in a room of people 
who have various uh, different family members. And it's, it's not, you know, it could be uh, kids, their kids who are really struggling. It could be a spouse that's really struggling or their parents or a really close friend. Anybody who has a, a really close relationship with you and, and you'd like to just go and be supported. So there's the support group component and then there's the skills. And the skills are, you know, we have the drop-in sessions and the skills are based on, you know, each session is a different skill. And um, the facilitators will, will provide some, uh, some learning around the skill. And then there's, because everybody's in that session together, uh, then we have a, a, a good chat about it and, and um, talk about the skill and how, how they would use it and how, you know, basically, you know, we, we talked about all different kinds of things and not always just skills. We talk about boundaries, there's empathy, there's validation, there is the radical acceptance. Um, you know, we talk about mindfulness and how that can be really helpful around self-care. You know, we can we elaborate on self-care. There's, there's a lot of different things. You know, we talk about the states of mind. And then what we do, we also have our mindfulness program, which is a six-week program where people can join to kind of, they're just discovering mindfulness. You know, what is mindfulness? What's it about? What's it for? And so we take people through that uh, six-week journey. And then our newest program is the Essential Skills Program. And that is basically DBT and EFT, where we've um, received um, some, some, um, professional advice from our, uh, our advisor, our uh, clinician that we have on our, on our board. And he has sort of taken us through the, the program and he's added to it and he's given us a lot of advice around it, signed off on it. And so now here we are running our essential skills program and that's eight weeks long. And it just, it takes all these skills and we just compound one after the other, they build on each other. And they're two hours long. We actually, and we have so much interest. We've actually running two concurrent sec, uh, sessions right now, um, and they're free for people, right? There's no, there's no barriers, so there's no waiting lists for them either. There's, you know, people can get into them fairly quickly, which is another reason why Emotions BC was founded because I saw so many, so many of these barriers. If it's, you know, if some of these uh, services are affordable. Uh, there are there are really long waiting lists, you know, there's six mm-hmm. to eight months for people to get into. And in the meantime, you know, those families can potentially really go into crisis uh, two or three times where, you know, their loved one is going to the hospital and getting sent home, which isn't a very effective um, most of the time, or, you know, the police get involved and that's not effective either. So this is why I think we decided that we need a drop in skills and we needed something that's fairly regular. And the programs are free and they're available online, obviously, because of COVID. So anybody can join them. I know you have a couple of international participants. We went into um, full, full Zoom mode as soon as COVID hit last year. And that was strictly because our participants were reaching out to us saying, oh no, what are we gonna do? You know, do you have something else lined up? And our board had always talked about offering um, uh, the online version of of our groups to remote places. And then COVID kind of fast-tracked that whole idea to, okay, we got to actually get that in in line now. So so we did that quite quickly. And we do. We've got people from Australia. We've got people from the U.S. 
attending our groups. So they factor in the time difference and they're able to make our groups. So, so yeah, they are, they are free. Um, and yeah, so they, they just log in and they do have to sign up through Eventbrite to, to check out any of our programs. It's best to go onto our website and then it'll take you to the link to the Eventbrite site where you actually have to register for each of these programs in order to receive the link. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't want random people showing up just like anonymously. That's not a safe spot. Um, And we will put all of the information for Nicole and Emotions BC in the show notes. So definitely feel free to click there or you can just Google it too. It's it's easy to Google. Um, And so those programs are for family members, loved ones of people that have, that struggle with emotions, not necessarily people that are diagnosed with borderline, um, just anybody who's maybe a little bit emotionally consumed. (laughs) I'm trying to think of the best word for that. Anybody who's looking for some kind of support or skills or just to kind of empower them in uh, fueling connection, fueling, fueling some connection with their loved one and, and really with a focus of, of hope and connection really right and so all of these skills i think is the, that's what we that's what we teach is all of them you know from empathy to boundaries they all you need to keep them all in mind with uh with that connection with your loved one that's that's your ultimate goal right and uh it doesn't mean it's easy because it's not and i've been doing these i've been practicing these skills for five years and i can tell you my loved one probably doesn't think i use very many of them <laughs> um, because and i and i say this to our families um some there are some days where it's i i really can't use them and i'm terrible at using them and then i have to reflect and go okay you know this is because i'm human and it's because i'm you know, what's, it's the halts, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, you know, that all of that extra stuff factors into how you can actually pull out that tool out of your toolbox is, um, is based on all of that. So, I mean, you can, you can know these skills really well, but um, being able to pull them out when you need them is, is sometimes really hard. So, yeah, practice makes perfect. But I mean, I know I have people ask me, like, how do you remember to use your skills all the time? And I was just burst out laughing, like, girl, I don't remember to use my skills all the time. Like, I remember to use my skills a lot more than I knew how to use my skills five, 10 years ago. But like, yeah. there are moments where I'm sitting in my car crying, not being able to go into a restaurant because of some stupid thing that I can't figure out. Like, nobody yeah. can use these all the time. Nobody's perfect as much as you practice. Like, it, it, they just become inherently like you, I think, and like just your coping mechanism. So it's not like I sit there and go, oh man, okay, well, I need to use wise mind right now or I need to use, uh, exactly. see, see, this is how well I am at remembering skills. I can't even name it. <laughs> I can't even name a second skill, but, but I don't necessarily do that. I just like naturally go through that process in my head. And, mm-hmm. and I think that like, it's, it's going to be the rest of your life, like, solidifying these skills but that doesn't mean that you're not living the life you want to live while you're practicing them if that makes sense yeah that's right and at the end of the day I think you asked you know these uh it's the sense of community that we bring together and sometimes I even say to our family our all of the people in our groups welcome to your new family right because we all get it we really do we all get it and um, whilst 
you know, you may not feel as supported by your own family, they do mean well. And they, they want to be able to, but they just don't know because they're just not, they're not there. They don't live that. They don't, they don't understand. And so, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and then come, you know, come to this family group. And then we will be able to, you know, be able to hold space for each other and understand what it, you know, what it is that we all need. And so I think that's where, uh, having you part of our team, Lori, has been a huge, huge dream of mine, which is to be able to provide this sense of community to uh, the, the people who have BPD, the people who have a struggle with ADHD or um, depression or really, you know, high anxiety, any, anything where you've got some big emotions, right? You've got big emotions, you've got big feelings, and you just want to feel like you're not alone with this mm -hmm. and you you know you you feel like you've got so many feelings that you don't want to put them or project them onto anybody so you prevent yourself from reaching out to have these relationships with people and the the fact of the matter is is that when you're around people other people um, who have big feelings you know I include myself in this because I do I have big feelings and I am a very emotion emotionally minded person um, my husband is a very like rational minded person. And sometimes the two of us, like we just don't get each other. And, I feel you there. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron yeah. is the most rational person I've ever met. And it drives <laughs> me more nuts than anything in my life. <laughs> and it can be so annoying, right? It can be so annoying when you're just trying to get this emotion that you're trying to just, uh, understood and you're hit with this why it, it doesn't really why you know this rational um reason reason so and and so that's that's where it's these skills have been really helpful even for my own relationship right even for like you said anybody it, it, these skills are great just for com communication in general with with people mm -hmm. and having relationships so having this group of super feelers um as we were talking about it before I think being able to offer this group to, to people who are struggling um, and really want to connect and really want to have their own sense of community and be able to talk about their stuff and not be judged or, you know, be able to make some connections with people and feel like they're not so alone. So the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast, Sarah and I have partnered with Emotions BC to host our first, uh, we're going to call it the Super Feelers Club. And if that's like this stupidest Bitch, name ever. That then... name came from me. So don't even say that stupid. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know. I actually love it. But I was going to say, if anybody's like, why is that the name? Blame Sarah. But also if you have, <laughs> if you have a better name, uh, we're ha we're just not very good at names as you could probably tell from our podcast. Uh, okay. Again, today. I resent that because <laughs> I think it is cute. <laughs> no, I do. I think it's cute as well. So anyway, we're, we're going to partner together with Emotions BC to um, basically host Host what will probably end up being some sort of a regular group for people that have BPD because this is a huge gap. I don't know about the states, but in Canada, there's a no offense to Emotions BC, obviously, but there's so many organizations out there that have support groups for the people affected by people with borderline, right? Mm -hmm. And I get that. And I've I've argued with numbers of organizations over the last, you know, five, six years about that. And and again, this is not what Emotions BC told me because they're helping us do this, but I hear liability all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that is bullshit 
because I think that if you're that worried about liability, you should be liable for all the people that have died because they don't have the support to be, to be blunt. (laughs) Um, Reach sister. I was like, oh no, is Sarah going to get mad at me for the name again? No. Uh, I wasn't mad. <laughs> no, but actually, first? is this our first fight? Yeah. Um, no, I will say though, in the States, I don't know of a organization specific to parents. So again, like very different kind of advocacy here. Um, we had like one Saturday or, you know, like one Saturday a month or something where families could join at the DBT program and kind Mm -hmm. of meet, meet each other and connect. So I think all around, there's just not enough advocacy for everybody, but I'm super stoked to be able to do the super feelers club. Yeah. Super feelers club. It's going to be awesome. So we're going to have our first, it's going to obviously be virtual because we have people all over the world that listen and that are involved in emotions BC. So it's going to be Tuesday, February 16th at 6 PM PST. Obviously you can check our social media channels and uh, emotions BC website. We'll have the poster up and the event bright links and stuff there. Um, so you will have to pre-register again. This is mostly just like, so we don't have random people showing up. Um, and we don't really know what it's going to look like yet. To be perfectly honest with you, we're just, we just want to provide a safe space. First of all, like for Sarah and I to meet all of you beautiful people that are constantly messaging us with how much, like how relevant you find all of this content, but also just for you guys to get to know each other and like have a space where you can meet people who get you. Mm-hmm. And and we don't, again, we have no idea what this is going to look like. I know at one, at some point, like we would love to have kind of a skills program for people with borderline that's free and accessible and online and, and more regular. If that's what you want. Perfect. If that's not, if you just want a space to like sit with people who get you and just like have a cup of tea at 6 PM at night, um, then that's fine too. We're super excited and we're very happy to take some feedback about like what this might look like. Do you have anything you want to say, Nicole, about that? Uh, I I just actually wanted to ask if it was borderline uh, specific. Right. Sorry. Good point. It's not. So (laughs) obviously a lot of the people that we like talk to have borderline, but the way we're promoting it really is like anybody who has strong emotions Mm -hmm. Um, that can be borderline. That can just be strong emotions. Of course, if we do go into skills, which we probably won't do on the first day anyways, but like, we'll get there probably be dialectical behavior therapy based just because that is a, what Sarah and I have really resonated with. And I, and that's the programs that emotions BC already runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also evidence-based, super awesome, life-changing and is helpful for not only borderline, but also like eating disorders, substance use, just like being a human. I feel like exactly <laughs> for yeah. yeah. Um, so we're super, super excited to, for this partnership and for this event. And again, happy to take any feedback about like what it looks like. So, um, as a listener, feel free to reach out to us and be like, I would love to see this or whatever it is. And of course it's going to be a safe space. Uh, we, you know, we will go through some guidelines at the beginning about, you know, details about self-harm and substance use and, Again, we're not ever trying to censor people, but we just want to make sure that we're not contributing to somebody's dysregulation. Right. 
all genders, obviously welcome. Um, we're not those people that are going to say anything about that. Safe space for people all over the world. It will be in English just because that's the only language we speak. I'm just really, really excited to be able to facilitate some sort of brave space for people to connect and learn from each other. I'd love if we kind of started doing like, like you used to do on your Instagram, Lori, like a skill of the day or a skill of the week or something like that would be fun just to give people resources, of course, um, to take and practice and use and just be able to be some sort of supplemental um, support program outside of what people already have. So you know, for me, this is kind of like one of the greatest honors of my life to be able to do this work. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And of course, like, thank you to Nicole and everybody at Emotions BC for giving us this opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I feel grateful as well. I honestly do to, uh, to find people who are willing to, to sort of take this to the next level and, and, uh, and make something kind of cool happen. I think it's, I think it's needed. And I think it, I think it's going to be good well-received. I'm excited. Honestly, this is one of those things that I have wanted to do. Oh my God, for almost like nine years now. And it just, it's never really happened for so many reasons. Like I didn't necessarily have the support to do it or like, I, I just didn't have the time. I mean, I still don't have the time, but like, we're going to make it work. Yeah. So we're just super excited to see you all there and definitely look into the show notes for any information. And we'll definitely also have it um, on our Instagram and websites as well for details. Yeah. And I, I second that. One of the things that I found the most frustrating was going through DBT as a person that had their master's in social work and a history providing counseling and like crisis work to people. I had a really unique experience into the program just having been not providing dbt because i don't have that certification but on the other side of it having some knowledge and i i remember just feeling frustrated that people who didn't have the same like education level um or work experience as i did i was thinking like gosh wouldn't it be so nice to have peer support like if i want peer support i imagine that people that don't have the same education access to education that I've had would want peer support as well. So I think that this is a good step in that kind of direction. And like, I totally get the liability stuff that Lori was talking about earlier, but I, I do believe there's a way moving forward to have like peer support models in built into DBT programs. And if this is the coolest, like first step, then I'm excited. There's so much evidence to support that peer support is so valuable. And I think I really strongly believe that the reason there's not peer support built into models like DBT is because the person, the people that are at the top academics doing these research studies don't think that there are people that are capable of being peer supports um, who have this disorder, which is obviously untrue. But I honestly, I'm 100% convinced that that's the issue. Right. Well, look at Marsha Linehan. I know. (laughs) Honestly, I have a list of people that I want to interview on this podcast one day, like a goals list. And she is at the top of that list. It's never going to happen, but can you- Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't say never. I I have my, 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 
my graduate degree is from UW. Maybe I can like try to slip that in there and be like, hey, I'm um, I'm alumni. Let's let's interview you, Marsha. <laughs> yeah, Marsha, if you're listening, I know you're a fan. No, I'm just, <laughs> totally joking. Um, but yeah, I'm I again like I'm sure that she agrees with us that that this would be important. But that's also when she was creating this program, peer support wasn't really a thing. Like in the last five, 10 years, like peer support just in all fields has become way bigger, like health, mental health, whatever. And so, yeah, I think maybe we're the start of something new with our super feelers club. I think so. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say before we wrap up. I don't think so. I just, I, I'm really want to thank you guys for putting this on and for, you know, having the courage and vulnerability to start a podcast like this. I think it's just, you know, I'm a big, huge Brene Brown fan mm. and I try and live my life sort of, uh, according to her testaments of life, which is, you know, the, the courage and vulnerability piece. And, and I think talking about our mental health, it, you know, and to be really effective and to, to come together, it takes courage and vulnerability. And yeah, so good for you guys. And I will back you, you know, as much as I can or, um, on, on all of your endeavors, because I think you guys are doing some great work here. And uh, yeah, you're supporting a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you, Nicole. That's so lovely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll, um, of course, put again, all of this information in the show notes and you'll be able to find Emotions BC and Nicole's information there. So thank you all for listening. And Nicole, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey, and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page, The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.